You've just tuned in. We're talking to Sleepless in Seattle. You called a radio station? I came home, there was a man in my house. He had an artificial arm. I own an island off the coast of Costa Rica. And I've spent the last five years setting up a kind of biological preserve. What kind of park is this? Welcome, my friends, to a very special edition of While You Were Streaming, the podcast saluting all the films of yesteryear that Gen Z desperately needs to stream. And today, I am not pleading my case alone. Last time, you guys, I brought in the stars of Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead. Today, we have a star that's shining even brighter. So (laughs) just teasing that for a minute. (laughs) She's shaking her head. Now, when I started this podcast last summer, I made the sincere promise to you, dear listener, that I would not be clogging your feeds with my episodes. Lord knows there are enough fabulous podcasts out there. I was not going to be polluting the airwaves with my aimless rambling unless I was truly inspired and called to action. And my people, that time has come. I wanted to share some personal backstory to give you some context for this series of podcast episodes. It's a bit personal, as I mentioned, so I'm going to need you to keep this conversation undercover. That's the beauty of having no sponsorship. I can afford to be intimate and get a little bit revealing with you. Gather close. I'm going to take you on a little journey. Now, picture young 12-year-old Brian, floppy-haired, bowl-cut, freckle-faced, pudgy little ball of dough that has recently moved to Florida the same year that The Sandlot was released. Me, a spitting image of Hambone, the red-haired catcher in that movie. I guess looking back, you could call it character building to survive taunts of being called Hambone, but at the time, it was not the best summer to be little Brian Reese. On the verge of turning 13, I had the natural curiosities that any boy my age would, and that summer I decided to pursue those curiosities full stop. The bell would ring at school, and I would race home, huffing and puffing to get to that mailbox before anyone got home, before the Tostitos were ripped open and an entire jar of nacho cheese was desecrated. (laughs) I had some intimate moments to myself. Sticky with anticipation, I would creep to the mailbox knowing the exact date my special magazine would drop, and I'd race to the bathroom, lock the door, making sure I was in complete solitude before cracking open the issue right to the centerfold. Oh, yeah. There it was. Entertainment Weekly Summer Movie Preview. Newly movie obsessed. This was foreplay to a 12-year-old boy like me. In terms of movie obsession, it really kicked into high gear that summer of 1993 when my Aunt Terry got the most influential present. She worked at a publishing company, and as a perk, she would send gifts, and that Entertainment Weekly subscription was it. Long before the internet, Entertainment Weekly truly was the lifeline of future films to come. This was truly a Bible to me. Culture back then was monoculture. We were all absorbing the same material. It's not like today where all summer... There's a million streams and releases and limited series and new drops and reality. No, TV was reruns and movies was where culture was at. This is the time long before Google, before IMDb, before Ain't It Cool News, the first movie website I would log on to on my AOL dial-up, being charged by the minute while my dad would scream at me. I mean, sure, we had our TV shows like Siskel and Ebert, film critic legends would give some previews of upcoming films, and we had our Entertainment Tonight, which would do set visits for upcoming releases. 
And there were the monthly magazines like Premier. But in terms of a weekly source, this was it. During the dark days of COVID, I'm talking peak 2020 pandemic, I revisited my nostalgia by purchasing an old summer movie preview off eBay. And boy, the minute that issue hit my mailbox, the endorphins were released and I was on a kick. Going on to purchase every single summer and fall entertainment weekly from 1993 to the year 2000. By the time fall 2000 hits and you're seeing Tom Hanks on the cover for Castaway, we're like, <laughs> we're done. Brian, you're fucking done. So I've been sitting on this collection of gold with these old issues for a while now, wanting to use this as influence for a podcast, but I have finally been called to action upon hearing the sad but not necessarily surprising news that last month's print issue of Entertainment Weekly, the April issue with Ewan McGregor as Obi-Wan Kenobi, will be Entertainment Weekly's last print issue. EW is going to an online-only format. Yes, it's the end of an era, but clearly one we all could have seen coming. I mean, myself, the biggest obsessive, I haven't bought a print issue of this magazine in well over a decade. But I did go to a newsstand on La Cienega just last month, spending $7.99 on that last issue, which I have bookended with the 1993 summer movie preview, which this episode is going to highlight in all its glory. Yes, we are going to celebrate the legacy of the magazine and pour one out for the seminal issue. The 93 was my entry point, so let's pretend, kiddos, that this is actually the early 30th anniversary for these movies. So let's get to it. To join me today is a true lover of cinema. This is a friend. I've honestly counted the years now. We're close to 25 years. We need a, a coin, a milestone, some sort of like memorabilia, although... Fuck it. We know it's really just going to be an edible. And I mean, honestly, just food, just <laughs> a snack, a buffet. We're going to be eating together to celebrate this momentous occasion. I want to introduce a working professional in the industry. She's an animation producer. This is a girl who's not only survived NYU film school together. This girl survived film sets. She has been in the room when Spielberg and Harrison Ford revived Indiana Jones. She's been in the room when J-Lo was crossing for Made in Manhattan. She's brought major series to life that I'm not going to go on and list her credits, but she is a legend to me. My friend, Katie Rodriguez. Hi, Brian. Oh, wow. I have that intro. I'm so flattered. Oh, stop. I could go on and on. Well, I have to say that there is truly no one on the planet that I feel I could have this conversation with about not only the Entertainment Weekly franchise in general, but this specific issue, who <laughs> understands where I'm coming from with it in the way that you do. I feel like this, those, all those 25 years ago, we were brought together to have this conversation because it is it hits different for us than I think it does for a lot of people. Oh, no, this is a soul connection moment, you know, a bond, because truly, I really was so excited to get your take. Not only do I know you have like a full encyclopedic knowledge of film, but specifically, we were the same age. We were 12 years old in going into this yeah. year. You turned 13 in the middle of I this did. summer. I don't want to spoil your <laughs> tale, but going into the summer as 12-year-olds, like, that is the most impressionable mind. And yeah. pre-internet, these little bibles of content were everything as you well know yeah absolutely i mean yeah i turned 13 in the summer of 1993 in april of 1993 moved from rural colorado to where my entire childhood was spent outside like throwing rocks at things and building like literal forts 
to rich suburban North Jersey, like 45 minutes outside New York city. I had, I was living in my grandfather's house. I had no friends. I had no siblings. All I had had was a TV in my bedroom that had a cable connection. That's it. And a mom who would take me to the grocery store. And every time we could, we'd go, she'd be like, yeah, pick out a magazine thinking I would pick like teen beat or 17. Nope. Every time entertainment weekly. I don't think I had a subscription at this point, but I definitely acquired every single issue for probably 10 years just through like grocery trips. This is a mission. This was allowance money. Yeah, absolutely. And it was that like, it was, it was a lifeline to the outside world. It was like things that I, I was learning things that I didn't know about. And as we go through, we can talk more about like, just the like learning about like life and art and writing and thinking like so much of the way I apply the, the way I, I apply my thoughts towards movies and entertainment that I take in now is a direct reflection of reading this magazine. A hundred percent. And Katie, we're both people who've worked in like post-production and reading here, they're like the fugitive. You think Harrison Ford's got a hard sell. The post-production team, it's only got four months to go from May to an August delivery. And it's yeah. like, oh my gosh, like that was our film school before we got to film school, before we got to NYU, this magazine setting up like all of this knowledge that that's how we learn. It truly is. There's so much in here about production that I, I think we don't get now. Like now we get like big think pieces about like auteurs or directors or actors. Like we get a lot of information about the people, like the famous people who make the shows, but there isn't a lot of like inside baseball in something that's just like bite size that te- like breaks down what the process of making this must have been. Like that doesn't exist anymore. No, and Katie, you nailed it, the inside baseball. Like, this is also before publicists overly groom people. Right. The person here are kind of wild. You're like, wait, they said that to the press and they ran it? Like, they would never get away with it. Like, there was for Sliver, like, don't want to, like, already spoil Sliver, you guys. <laughs> but this was this, like, Sharon Stone thriller. And one of the movie's producers, Robert Evans, who's famous for doing Chinatown, among others, he admits to Sharon Stone's bad behavior, noting that she was uptight about proving herself worthy after all the hype in last year's Basic Instinct, calling out that that tension must have been to blame for her well-publicized onset squabbles with co-star William Baldwin. Robert Evans notes, Whenever a man or woman hits it big, it's a very confused time. They're terribly nervous about their next movie. I was with Travolta when he did Irving Cowboy. It was the same thing. It's like, Never. you're supposed to protect your star. Also, spoiler alert, Michael Crichton's second release of the summer, <laughs> not Jurassic Park, but <laughs> Rising Sun. It has this whole quote where... I think the screenwriter's like, Michael Crichton's racist. And he's like, no, I'm not. Wesley Snipes is in the movie. He's like, take your name off the movie, you racist. I'm like, this is Michael Crichton, the author. It was a little freer time in Hollywood where they just kind of let it rip. And we, us little baby 12-year-olds on the other end, were like thirsty for all like the tea that was being spilled. Yeah. Also, the way each sentence is just a free fall into like, sexism, racism, homophobia, transphobia. The way this is written is wild. It is wild. Katie, y'all, this is not obviously visual medium. I need to break it down. The 1993 cover, got Jurassic Park, The Firm, Sleeps in Seattle, In the Line of Fire, Coneheads, and there's Whoopi Goldberg in Made in America. And the next preview, who's our token woman of color? Whoopi Goldberg. I'm not even joking with you. The next year, 
there's Eddie Murphy the next year, Will Smith. The next year, oh my God, Chris Rock. <laughs> then the next year, Will Smith. Okay. Oh Too close for comfort. Too, close. Too soon. Oh my gosh. And then the final issue, Eddie Murphy. Every year, there is one square, one square of diversity. And that's like very emblematic of just how it went in Entertainment Weekly. Oh, the cringe, the cringe. Still haven't seen all of these movies. I mean, how could I? There were some that were just so... I was so not the demographic. Fatherhood with Patrick Swayze and Halle Berry. Yeah, I missed it. But you still know something. If, if you're someone who pays attention to movies, I think in the way that you and I do, Brian, you still know something about the movie. The only reason I know about the movie is because of that blurb. The muscle memory of like, oh my God, I remember that exact visual. Yeah. And this goes to the point where I have to be honest with you. As a very deprived gay preteen, this was early porn. There were some stills in these magazines <laughs> that were like, oh mama. There was like a preview of GoldenEye where Pierce Brosnan is laying out and the sheet is dipping just the tiniest bit lower to show a little trail of something. And it was like running to my room to like memorize more than just the release date of when GoldenEye is dropping. <laughs> As I was like coming of age, these previews would give like scintillating tips of mm -hmm. like someone going full frontal or someone doing this. And it was like, who mama? Yeah, and I yeah. knew like, what to stock and right, maybe not in the theaters, but when it hit Cinemax or something, I knew the movies I needed to like a closer eye on at midnight, so to speak. So yeah. I, there's two movies that are, that we'll talk about coming up here that were like, the first time I had seen something in the, yeah, in a movie, right. like the first time I had seen something enacted, something that I had heard about, right. but I wasn't quite sure like how it all worked. Of course. Enacted in front of me. Exactly. That is the definition of 12 to 13. Okay. Let's get into let's it. Do it. Hold on to your butts. So much to get into. Although there's almost so little to get into. That's just the one other big picture takeaway was how little movies are in here. Summer movie preview. Will dinosaurs rule the earth? Behind the scenes and beyond the hype reports on more than 60 releases. Compare that to the 2000 summer movie preview, noting all the buzz on 137 new releases compared to just 60 releases touted in this issue. Even going through this, the, the magazine felt slim. We're going to go through the best. On our last episode of While You Were Streaming, I had Bridget, our fellow friend, have to pick our Desert Island movie. Should we need to grab onto a comfort movie? This is obviously a whole summer, so I wanted to pick five movies we'll encapsulate to bring to the island. I think we have together as film connoisseurs as NYU alums must align on the top three together, but we're each allowed our own little grab bag pick. So okay. you'll get one, I'll get one. And together we will encapsulate our top five Desert Island movies. One other thing I want to throw out to you, in the spirit of horrible puns, I used to work on an MTV show called Next, Speeding on a Bus. Well, iconic, was, iconic. It was puns coming at you a plenty, and in honor of really in the toilet puns, let's go for Jurassic Port. Oh! Katie, I want you to keep in your mind, if you had to do the deed with three male entertainers, if you will, of this summer, who were your top three? And it doesn't have to be men, of course. Like, Could be anyone. Anyone, anything. All right. Anything. <laughs> Great. Let's get into our summer movie preview, 1993. We're going to open it up. And actually, Katie, yeah. I shared a Google Drive version of the magazine. She's got a scan of every page. I didn't give you this page. It's really unfair. It's a full page ad for a beeper. Yeah. It is clear. Yeah. It is blue. It is transparent. <laughs> it is just a, this is a fucking time capsule piece right here. This full page tribute to Motorola. 
the answering machine for your pocket. For your pocket. I mean, the hot cheat, you guys. Entertainment Weekly did a hot cheat. What the country is talking about this oh, week. Oh, this. The thing that really <laughs> stood out to me on this. Sorry, just read number 12. Number 12. <laughs> <laughs> number 12. It says, Hillary's hair. Front page news. We're lucky she just didn't get a wax job. Oh, my God. I mean, it's terrible. <laughs> number six, Michael Jackson's ranch. He doesn't have a brand. The neighbors know the animals with glitter in their fur are his. Oh. <laughs> Whoa. This is a hard time, Michael Jackson, 1993. That's that's rough. Number three is Hot Shots Part Deux. Mm. Uh, Charlie Sheen involved in this spoof. I remember seeing this movie with my best friend Micah at the time. And before the movie, I remember... I got this <laughs> combo meal, the two cheeseburger meal. My dad was always lurking. So I'm about to dive in and my dad pops over my shoulder and goes, Brian, it's so much less calories if you take the bread off. You don't need all that bread. <laughs> and I'm with my friend. It's always the food traumas that yeah. will like, you'll remember three things that happened that year. If you're traumatized by a specific food event, that's like muscle memory. Yeah, for sure. My hot shot, I saw Hot Shots Pardue and... Jurassic Park with the same two people and they were identical twins and I, I I was brand new to town and I remember sitting I was remember sitting in Hot Shots part due being like I don't know which is which <laughs> <laughs> just like while well, the movie's watching have... I'm like am I sitting next to there were names were Kim and Kate it's like am I sitting next to Kim or Kate <laughs> you're like which one's the do <laughs> <You're right. laughs> which is the hot which is the shot <laughs> <laughs> Okay, we're one page from the movies, but you guys, I'm sorry. How do I not pay homage to a woman of substance here? We have an article called, just asking, a woman of substance. So we have a whole Q&A with Anna Nicole Smith here. I'm just going to end with the closer. Who do you think is sexier, Madonna or Sharon Stone? Oh gosh, neither. I'm upset with Sharon Stone because she was offered the Marilyn Monroe part and she looks nothing like her. I wanted that part. To me, she's not a Marilyn Monroe type. She doesn't have a womanly figure. She also got offered that role in Flintstones movie. I later tried out for, okay? Okay, and Madonna, they asked. She plays good music, and that's all I can say. She should definitely stick to that. She was approached for Marilyn Monroe, too. I would have thrown up. No, don't put that in. And of course, that's what they close with, respecting this woman's request. Can I just say, I would watch all three movies of all three of them playing Marilyn Monroe. I would love please. nothing more. <laughs> revisionist history. Oh my God, please. Sharon Stone, Madonna, <laughs> Anna Nicole Smith, fight to the death battle. Hunger <laughs> the Hunger Games. Rose. <laughs> my uncle Joe, God rest his soul, he just passed and I did a memorial video for him. I digitized all of his old tapes, old videos of him coaching. And my aunt sends me the best of Anna Nicole Smith playboy tape. Oh, I'm like, you know, I didn't need all the content. At the same point, God bless her soul. She looked like a million bucks. Good for her. And let's pay tribute to our 1993 Playmate of the Year as we dive into our movie preview. So we open up in May, and our centerfold in this case is Arnold Schwarzenegger. To see or not to see, that is the question Arnold is posing in this cover photo from Last Action Hero. As they note here, could it be the demise of the traditional sequel-heavy summer movie season? That's right, aside from second helpings of three comedies, Hot Shots, Stakeout, and Weekend at Bernie's, your local multiplex will be 100% sequel-free. So that, Katie, I thought is hysterical because... 
that's so full cycle. We live in such a yeah. world now where all they talk about is sequelitis, IP overload. This is on the heels of maybe Batman Returns. Like, and I just think it's funny of the IP that was the big IP of this summer for sequels: Hot Shots, Stakeout, yeah. and Weekend at Bernie's. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I would be interested to know when that happened. Like, when did the sequel mania thing start? Because if they're already talking about like a sequel fatigue in 1993 when we're like struggling to figure out what those sequels might have been three men and a little lady yeah oh a classic one of the fine ghostbusters 2 maybe you know there was like right karate movie. kid 2 right i guess sure. everything really got Back to the future but everything here is like almost like they say exclusively just original content let's jump right into may they kind of cut to the mid to end of may because may 7th is dave that opened up. Oh. It's not covered in here, except in the box office. It notes it's number one at the box office. If we were going to include it, that just to me breaks into the, the island movies, you know, of like. Oh, yeah. I think we only pick from what's in here. Okay. Because, so I, like, I will say this you. too about Dave. I recently, I rewatched Dave, like, during the last election cycle. That movie holds up like crazy. It is so entertaining. Katie, I watched so it on good. election day, that and American President. I'm like, we're only yeah. watching fictional aspirational presidents yeah and it's so good and it really holds up anyhow i just want to note it's just a sidebar the top box office for may also includes a lot of leftovers from april including mm -hmm. the sandlot sidekicks indecent proposal and benny in june so just oh. some context of what's in theater so we're not counting Ooh. those because some of those really would make it to the island i mean i mean that is that's it right there that's the that's island, my right? that's the yeah right, right dave bay in june and the sand, and the lot. sand Look, lot anyhow getting those off the plate here's what we start off with page one cliffhanger sliver made in america and super mario brothers okay that's our opening oh. page <laughs> And go, I mean, talk about like movies that just truly don't have any influence in today's world. Like none of those movies are playing. They, you know? They're not, but I do, I will argue that I think both Cliffhanger and Sliver have lasting legacies. A hundred percent. Cliffhanger, I think was the first movie trailer that I remember, that I remember uh -huh. being like, Ooh, I gotta see that movie. Please, please, I don't want it to die. You're not gonna die. Don't let me fall. <laughs> the trailer was like gnarly. Totally, Katie. That's the thing. Going into NYU, like I said, I wanted to make action movies. Now people think it was a punchline because mm -hmm. I want to be like Michael Bay. And Cliffhanger was exactly that. That like big buildup, that teaser, that action trailer. I mean, it's directed by Rennie Harlan, who was like mm. the master of these movies. So like the man knew what he was doing. And Stallone, I mean, we're really talking peak Stallone here. Peak. So any shots of him glistening on these peaks? And let's give it up for Janine Turner mm -hmm. with that. Northern like, exposure you know, her, fame. Her, 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 right, her pixie like making it to the mountainside. Um, John Lithgow as like a really scary villain. Yeah. Actually, speaking of scary sliver. Oh, this is one of them, I think. This is potentially one of my deserved island movies. This, so I wanted to see this movie so bad, but my mom knew it was like a sexy movie. And she also knew it was based on a book. And she was like, you can see the movie if you read the book. So I was like, handshake deal, done. And I, can I tell you, like some of the imagery that is in that book is wildly inappropriate for a 12 year old to be reading. This was the first time I'd ever heard of like voyeurism or had any sort of notion of like 
Mm-hmm. watching something right. being sexy even really the whole idea of like what sexy was i didn't didn't register for me until this movie and that's that was like a little bit of an awakening and like mean, oh watching something can like make you feel things Katie, hello even reading things can make you feel things you're reading this <laughs> caption as a 12 year old here's what air tim weekly says on sliver sex sin scandal and that's just the backstage story throughout filming stone who stars as a manhattan book editor seduced into the life of voyeurism by her peeping tom neighbor baldwin so even that you're like wait sex sin scandal voyeurism peeping tom like that's already like a semi you know just like (laughs) that's the kind of words at that impressionable age yeah Um, and yeah the movie to me doesn't exist as a movie it's just a montage of imagery including william baldwin's ass and those were the (laughs) days where you had no porn tube like right any glimpse you got was like a pause moment yeah and you just said it like setting the stage for this like erotic thriller that your mom like made a deal with the devil with for sure and i remember watching it when it finally came on like cinemax or showtime or whatever it was i remember watching it through the like stat we didn't get the channel so we i would watch it through the static and every time it would change to that like gray or blue sort of like filtered shot as though they were watching it through the like security camera footage i was like "Ooh, you know it's gonna be hot (laughs) would you look at her she's a boy here she can't get enough but from the moment she moved in... I don't have anything to wear. Where would I send you? Someone was watching. Make sure mom's not in the room. Like, Doors closed, right? right? Yeah. Also, we need to know, this is screenwriter Joe Esterhouse, who's made, like, he did basically oh, yeah. Instinct. And clearly, we need to note, Showgirls, Naomi Malone's Opus. So he's yeah. written some true, like, despicable raunch in his day. Classics. But meaty, like, a real meaty raunch that any actor, like, would be lucky to get uh, one of those monologues. Screenwriter Joe Esterhouse's dark, ambiguous ending, The Killer Got the Girl and They Flew Into a Volcano Together, was replaced by a more upbeat closing that had the final test audience cheering. Thank God for reshoots. They made the picture 40% better, I have to admit. Like, they would never say that these days, admitting they would make it 40% better. (laughs) That's that, like, inside baseball piece that's, like, that's, like, actual information that when you're trying to learn about what movies are what it's like to make movies like that's what you cling on to during reshoots the high strung evans was rushed to the hospital with high blood pressure but he says the worry was worth it thank god for reshoots i mean he's it's wait what he's in the hospital like oh my god the buzz on this one so hollywood's buzz meter here they like to watch but will you? <laughs> Curiosity shouldn't show a big opening, but for Sliver to succeed, that new ending had better be a turn on. And it was. I also want to just take a moment and appreciate Sharon Stone for being one of our, one of just the most iconic movie stars of all time. I feel like she does not get her due no. because she wasn't around for that. Like she was big for like maybe five years Mm -hmm. but everything she did was incredible she got her oscar nomination for casino just a couple years after this which finally Mm -hmm. gave her like quote unquote that hollywood validation i swear she got the quick and the dead where she starred as like that cowgirl gunslinger and then she was in like movie prison they like for females you're allowed one shot as a movie star and Mm -hmm. i think she had that other like doozy um last dance or she's in a prison oh, right everyone yeah. else there was a story about army hammer he 
every movie bombed of his and he, they gave him 30 chances you know but yeah here in stone she got one or two luckily she had a bit They're part in the ryan murphy universe but he needs to carve out like a major seat at the table whereas he gave jessica lang her due and her comeback i feel like sharon is coming back but yeah i'm ready for it look at this the, this is the shot of sharon she's literally white hot yeah speaking of white hot <laughs> Ted Danson as the leading man in Made in America with his leading lady, Whoopi Goldberg. Saw this in theaters, Katie. I don't know about you. Went to the movies with my friend Micah. Micah Hansen. I don't know if you're listening. We went to a lot of Katie's <laughs> movies in the mall. This is like a swapped at birth tale where oh, yeah. Whoopi Goldberg accidentally finds out that the sperm donor is a white man, Ted Danson. And, you know, romantic hijinks ensue. Uh, I have to just note a few of the racially charged lines Sloan wrote for Goldberg i.e. I don't like white people, led to some extensive PC debates among the director, star, and writer. But we didn't want to make it bland, said director Richard Benjamin. We couldn't close our eyes to a totally obvious social situation. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> the buzz. The laughter of press screenings has not exactly been deafening. And though Whoopi Goldberg's momentum off Sister Act should fuel America for a couple weeks, we shouldn't start filming that sequel just yet. Hmm. I admittedly have never seen this movie. My family has a lot of interracial people in it, people from like all kinds of different places. And this was one that even at that stage of my life, I was like, this does, I feel like this might offend me. The director says, when Ted Danson came into the room and him and Whoopi read together, and I said, this works. The story was originally written for two white lead actors. When Goldberg and Danson stepped into the roles of the mother and father, Terry Fisher was then called in to help with Goldberg and Danson's romantic patter. Oh, looking for a red suede pump. No, um, <laughs> you clearly, Katie, picked up on what's written directly here. It's like, this was a wonky script. They tried to rewrite and rewrite and... Uh, I got me into theaters. Um, <laughs> I will have to note, though, in honor of the slap heard around the world, Will Smith, R.I.P. Um, <laughs> well, R.I.P. just for 10 years. You know, after 10 years, he'll be back. in R.I.P. his career for yeah. right now. It's fine. Yeah. Right, but honestly, I'm going to put his appearance in Made in America as a top five Will Smith performance for me as a non-Will Smith fan. He has uh -huh. a whole cuts out moment where he's talking to an imaginary girlfriend of his on a sidewalk. It honestly is worth a Google. What's up, baby? You want to slide out for a minute? Well, no, I really shouldn't. Oh, come on, baby, you know, let's just go see a movie or something. Well, I just, I'm just not really ready for commitment. I just want to take you out. I said no, bitch. Your mother. Although yeah. you don't even want that in your search history at this point, getting all the sponsored Will Smith ads. But anyhow, <laughs> okay, moving on. Next page, Much Ado About Nothing and Hot Shots Part Do. Well, Katie, as I love about you, I was not a highbrow 12-year-old, so Much Ado About Nothing was not on my radar. Though. Yeah, it was definitely on my radar, but I 100% didn't see it. One thing I used to do from this magazine, I would cut out blurbs and tape them to my wall. And so I had like just a wall filled with mm -hmm. like nonsense facts from movies and much ado about nothing was something that i had a lot of like imagery and quotes from and stuff like that up on my walls never saw never it. seen the movie right never now, saw into the cast just really quick kenneth brana emma thompson denzel washington michael keaton keanu reeves robert sean leonard kate beckinsale yeah. i mean they're all like you know staggered on that cover and you're just like wait keanu denzel who wait yeah. what? Where, i bet what? it's great i'd love to see it <laughs> i didn't see that but of course i saw hot shots part two so i love this at the end of the month they'll always put the also coming in dot 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 where they feature lower profile movies 
And it's funny because looking back, you'll see iconic films buried in their sort of et cetera section. And in this case, they missed one big one, Menace to Society. Twin directors Albert and Alan Hughes, 21, make their future debut in a drama about young African-Americans growing up in Watts. I think Menace to Society was a huge miss because that was that was a big movie. Everyone was talking about that movie. It was made by two really young guys. It was their first movie. I thought that was, I was surprised that there wasn't more written about that. Yeah, that's the thing. It really deserved a spot above Hot Shots Part Due with yeah. God bless her, Valerie Galino. She did not get the justice she deserved after, you know, Dustin Hoffman walked in her, you know, bathing. Um, yeah. Poor thing. Ooh, anyway. that was a, what a movie that was. Okay, so there's May for you. Cliffhanger, Sliver, Made in America, Super Mario Brothers, Much Ado About Nothing, Hot Shots Part Due, Menace to Society. Are any of these, Katie, in the running to make it to our desert island? I'm going to put a pin in sliver. Ha! Love it. I just love that sentence. Putting a pin in sliver. Um, <laughs> and again, I guess we're going to go with the term desert or desert island. Uh, desert. Maybe I should How about our desert island at this point. <laughs> Great. Rebrand it because you know I'm bringing snacks. So let's. <laughs> I don't have any contenders here. If they allowed David, that would be a number one for me. If they allowed Betty and June in, that would mm, honestly be the number one. All right. So let's move into our June. Okay, Katie, I'm going to try to keep a timer on this. So mm. The first entry is Lizard King, Jurassic Park, starring Sam Neill, Laura Dern, Jeff Goldblum, Sir Richard Attenborough, directed by Steven Spielberg. Welcome to Jurassic Park. 1993, we lived near Universal Studios, Orlando, took trips there. I remember the school trip we went there with all my classmates. They had the poster. They had the book. They had to display. It's coming, Jurassic Park. This was the first book that I'm going to call an adult book that mm -hmm. I read in the sense that it was big. It was fat. It had words I didn't know. It mm -hmm. had words I thought I was pronouncing right until the movie started. Katie, I swear to God, the movie is starting. And I was shocked that Cheo's theory was being pronounced. <laughs> I read the entire book of Jurassic Park saying <laughs> Cheo's theory in my head because... I had no connect the dots, put that word together in real life, which of course I understand what chaos was, but reading that book was like reading a school text. Yeah. It was like reading nonfiction. 100%. I felt like I could have done a report on it and I just want to show you right here. I just did a deep dive for old pictures and I found this poster, Katie, I got from my first screening. They gave out this little like poster and I hand wrote on their favorite movie. <laughs> just to be clear because it was just the movie i was just like truly obsessed with you'll appreciate this when we were at nyu and i was at my first job at the uh i worked for the dean's office and they asked like brian what was the movie that inspired you to go to film school like that question and my answer was jurassic park yeah some of them laughed a couple of the people in the room laughed huh? this is like now katie it's like if someone asks and it's like saying a movie that came out like four years ago. Or it would be like saying Captain America. Right. Or maybe like Get Out. But it's like, wait, what? Right. Maybe that's just like, bitch, that just came out. Yeah. Of course, I was nitpicking the inaccuracies. They swapped the character traits of the boy and the girl. I remember mm -hmm. it was swapped in the book. And I was still like that nerdy nitpicker of like, that was the era of like reading the book first. But damn, yeah. watching that the first time. And going on to having my name reserved at Suncoast Video for the VHS release to make sure I got it. So Suncoast Video called me. You hear this, kids? The streamers out there? <laughs> for a video uh, assistant manager to call me when he got around to coming into the mall at 9 a.m. Anyhow, it was just like the movie. And uh, yeah. of all, of, of course, the dessert island, my number one. 
I love of course. Yeah. I mean, what else could it be? Park. Yeah. I was first of all surprised that there wasn't more about like in this issue of this magazine, there's more conversation around last action hero than there is around Jurassic Park. And they came out within like weeks of each other. So, you know, I had moved, I moved in April and I, of 1993, I read the book for a class or I think our science class or something like that, but it was the same. It was the first like adult book I had read. I read the book at my previous school and then I moved and went to a new school and started telling everybody that like, oh, I read the book. And they were all like, no, you didn't. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I did. I've read that book. I had to read it for class. And they're like, we didn't have to read it for class. But like they had no- It was so bold. It had to be a lie. Yeah. They were like, no, you didn't. And I was like, but I did. And I just remember feeling like, oh, nobody gets me. This was also the first movie I saw multiple times in the theaters because yeah. I was in the process of making new friends. And that was like the icebreaker. It was like the first thing, the first like hangout that I did with each new group of friend was go to see Jurassic Park. Because it was like, whether you were cool or a nerd or like one of the like alt kids, like everyone wanted to see it. I love you for saying that. I remember um, exactly that. I saw it so many times with so many different groups, like a baseball pack that my dad put together that I did not want to be there for. But hello, we were seeing Jurassic Park. Even still the shot where they come over the hill and you can see all of the brontosauruses. Mm-hmm. Incredible. Right. Like still breathtaking. Oh. I remember coming out of the whole Jurassic Park experience sure up to my eyeballs that I was going to become a paleobotanist. <laughs> I, thought you, I thought, honestly, you were going to say filmmaker, but no, you no. wanted to be in it. You wanted to be like Laura Dern, hands in the stegosaurus shit. Yeah, I that's like were, uh, all great. I wanted. Um, Cuts me in science class, just like F's across the board. Also, it's funny because you and I both have worked in um, like visual effects and like storytelling. Mm-hmm. And it's something I have to reference so many times as a producer in terms of talking when they have limited budget, talking about being really strategic with how many mm. shots we could show because, you know, clients would always want to show a million shots and not have the budget to do it. We are so overwhelmed by these Avenger Marvel third act disasters of cgi monstrosities where they had unlimited funds and of course sometimes they get it right and they can really do beautiful storytelling weave through there but so many times it's just like a hodgepodge a mess of these i remember a star trek movie one of the sequels where i just sat there with anxiety for the visual effects producer the entire time (laughs) enjoy the movie but no jurassic park they had i think 50 visual effects shots total throughout the whole movie when i produced supergirl we had 150 shots and like you know a fraction of the time so that, yeah but they had to be so strategic with their shots they had to build the suspense tease it mm-hmm. not show everything at once like build the raptors with all the sound and the amazing sound editing and sound design and obviously spielberg did that whole bit with jaws like wait build like what you don't see is scarier but the fact that he does this and then i just really need to note here apparently confident of the results spielberg decided to oversee post-production long distance from Poland where he has been filming Schindler's List monitoring (laughs) Jurassic special effects by satellite hookup to ILM and commuting to Paris on occasion to scream updated cuts. That way not only could he capture the Polish winter on film but also be able to enter two movies in next year's Oscar Derby. Really compartmentalizing there, huh? That's incredible. That's a hardcore run. You don't get more of a double bill than that, period. Yeah. It's true. I also think this movie is so beautifully muted in its like color palette. It's like so pleasant to watch 
even still. I mean, some of these movies that you watch from this era are like, what are they, what are they wearing? Or what are they thinking? Or what am I looking at? But this movie is just like a treat from start to finish. And we got to talk about the music. I played cello and orchestra, and I know I made my parents suffer through a lot of performances of me playing this iconic soundtrack. You put any of this music on, you can't help but get goosebumps. You iconic, yeah. Second chair clarinet, same thing. Oh, see, yeah, that's a second chair coming to an eighth chair cello, and I'm talking eight of it. <laughs> I'm talking eight, 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 nine. Yeah. Uh, I'm like, I was probably two of four. I just want to note on the buzz: Jurassic status as the summer's biggest movie is a foregone conclusion. The only question is how big. A reasonable guess is two hundred million. Although Jurassic stomp and chomp violence may keep little kids and cautious parents away. And this is where we have to LOL. 30 years later, I mean, the violence in Jurassic Park, that yeah. one that one lamb leg that hits oh, the, yeah. the mirror really is, uh, you know, spine chilling. Um, hello, when, was it Ariana Richards? The girl? The, yeah. the sister? Right. Just the shot alone when um, Lex, is her name, yeah. got her spoon of jello jig mm-hmm. To evoke that... Thank you, Katie. Those big eyes. The bulge <laughs> eyes and the quivering jello. I mean, if you can get that performance from yeah. a, a young girl, that's masterclass. Anyhow, Jurassic Park, amen. Next to that on the other page is Last Action Hero, which you've talked about. It was this big $80 million gamble of a movie about a boy who steps into the world of his favorite on-screen hero, played by Schwarzenegger. And it was a big bust. The buzz here, word of mouth has been nothing short of poisonous, which says more about the number of movie biz insiders who are rooting for Arnold to belly flop than the film itself. Still, if this action hero doesn't mow down at least $100 million, Canton, the studio executive, may have to update his resume. Damn. Yikes. And honestly, just as a box office check real quick, sorry guys, I just said Entertainment Weekly wondered if a reasonable guess if Jurassic Park would get up to $200 million. Katie, do you want to throw out a guess of what it made made it domestic? I would guess 400. 357. Oh, all right. That's fair because you guys probably they doubled it, but they almost did 357. Yeah. Um, but last action hero, they're hoping it had to cut at least 100 million. It made it to 50, which honestly, oh, all right. again, last action hero does not play. Yeah. It's not rerun on TV. You do not see it in the culture anywhere. We know yeah. it as like a legendary kind of bomb if you were there during the time. But if you're like 20, you've just never heard of this movie. Here are the cameos in the movie. Sharon Stone, Chevy Chase, Jean-Claude Van Damme, Tori Spelling, God bless her soul, <laughs> and getting contact, you guys, because once we get to the TV section, it is littered with Melrose Place and 90210. It is popping in TV at the time, people. Um, and also Maria Shriver herself. Anyhow, that's Last Action Hero. Katie, anything you want to add to that one? No, I think that one died its death. Dead. R.I.P. Next up, this is huge, Katie. In terms of this is the summer we read a lot. We were very literate 12-year-olds. And just like Michael Crichton was a lifeblood, John Grisham was the other piece of that for me. Whereas my cousins were shocked that my parents gave me money to buy hard book covers the day they were released. (laughs) My cousins had to wait and get these books at the library. Like, and my parents just- The indignity. That was something I spilled money at. That bookstore, buying Crichton, buying Grisham, and honey, The Firm, when that movie came out, I was like Tom Cruise running- down the street, channeling Mitch McDeer. We have faith that you're going to be with us for a long, long time, Mitch. The fact is, nobody has ever left us. 
Nobody. This was the movie. It was a huge deal, Katie. It was R-rated. And mm-hmm. I told my parents we were up visiting New York. I had seen R-rated movies with like my friends, but like I'd never gone with my parents. And I remember these iconic scenes of like Tom Cruise's character like getting a blowjob on the beach by this hot <laughs> chick, and they blackmail him later, and that was like so hot. I'm like, oh my god, he got a BJ on the beach. Whoa, <laughs> that was like everything for a 12 year old. So I was like, how's it gonna happen? And and my parents and Anne and Preston were on each side of me, you know. <laughs> with a giant bucket of popcorn in my lap so it was just one of those movie moments where you just really remember of our movie Tom Cruise yeah. getting head on the beach and I'm not going to bed till 11 p.m. bit <laughs> yeah it was a very adult movie for us at that time for sure I saw it once I haven't seen it since I don't remember anything about it other than the fact that I was like isn't this a few good men? They came out near each other. I definitely right. saw a few good men well, first. Entertainment Weekly says, though already set to play a lawyer in a few good men. Right. Cruz says he saw the firm as a departure. Yes, I'm playing a lawyer again, but having a profession doesn't define the person. This is Mitch's personal story. He gets stuck into the world and then he has to crawl out of the hole. See, I wanted to talk about Cruz talking about crawling out of hole. Okay. <laughs> We're going to save that for another podcast. Yeah, that's a whole other hour. No, I. but this was one that was like a little bit too adult for me and not in like a fun sleazy way it was just i was literally like i don't understand the story well katie it's (laughs) so funny because this is one of my contenders for dessert island just a contender just like your sliver Mm. this would be Mm. this is a movie Mm -hmm. i so grew up on a because i loved the book i was really disappointed by the movie's ending the last act oh. takes a detour from the book's ending that left me really unnerved. Now here's the buzz from the movie. Can Cruz lose? Sure he can. Last summer's Far and Away grossed a relatively modest $58 million, but with Tom back in his element and quite a few good men in the supporting cast, the firm should hit 100 in a blink. And the firm made it to $158 million, and it definitely made it to my homemade VHS collection where all four of the um, John Grisham movies, Katie, I lived and died by. I knew them all by heart. The Firm, Pelican Brief, The Client, and A Time to Kill like the client all went down so smooth for me and honestly yeah. just a shout out to the mu- the music if you mm. can't listen to the firm sydney pollack you needed to trim 30 minutes out of the movie but it's got a fabulous cast holly hunter's nominated for supporting actress oscar the same year she got the lead for the piano later that fall she ends up with david Strathairn. you got gene triplehorn gene hackman's great and speaking of the silver daddy i want to officially announce my top two contenders for jurassic pork Naming the stars of the summer I want to tussle with, professionally speaking, of course. First up, you can't have Jurassic Pork without Jurassic Park. Yes, Dr. Ian Malcolm, Mm. Jeff Goldblum himself. Life uh, finds a way. Next up, surprise candidate, putting Gene Hackman from The Firm. Oh! Grizzly old man named Avery who attracts the likes of a lot of women in this movie. People grieve in different ways, Miss McDear. You think I'm talking about breaking the law? No, I'm just trying to figure out how far you want it bent. As far as you can without breaking it. As an elder and as almost a uh, creaky elder at this point, he still <laughs> could get it. Actually, they note here that um, in apparent attempt to bolster the firm's female appeal, Pollock, the director, toyed with casting Meryl Streep as McDeer's mentor, a male character in the book. Eventually, Hackman got the role. Anyhow, fun fact, y'all, they were trying to get Meryl in there. And honestly, this movie's beneath Meryl. Um, it's perfectly in line for Wilford Brimley from uh, who recently passed and he mentioned all his roles and I'm like do not forget his tough guy bad cop in this movie I know you'll do your best to protect the firm won't you Mitch 
just want to raise a raise a glass for the firm. It got me through a summer thinking I was a badass and uh, <laughs> and uh, paved the way. I love now, that next for you. page. Wow, Katie, it's life a big page. three words: sleepless in Seattle, y'all, and mic drop. <laughs> mic drop. Three words: Rosie O'Donnell. <laughs> three words: Rosie fucking O'Donnell. Bitch. <laughs> and also Desert Island. Can we just lock this in at number two? Yes. Yeah, it's our number two lock, and let's just make it official. It's Nora Ephron, and this Nora Ephron, not giving herself the credit she's due. Here's her quote: "Now positioned as the official summer date movie, Sleepless is not an art film, to put it mildly," admits co-writer Nora Ephron. Still, it's at least aware of its own corniness. During rehearsals, I told the actors, "This is not a movie about love. It's a movie about love in the movies." Oh, Which I love that quote. I love that. So, for anyone for anyone who's been living yeah. underground, Sleepless in Seattle is a rom com with Meg Ryan and Tom Hanks, and they spend the entire movie cross country. She listens to him on a radio show talking about his ex. Horses, horses, horses. You remember the name of the radio host? No, no. What was it? Doctor Marsha. Oh yeah. <laughs> Dr. fucking Marsha Fieldstone. What was so special about your wife? Well, Dr. Marsha Fieldstone, I think. It was like... Magic. Magic. Sleepless in Seattle? That's what you call them on the show because you can't sleep. Anyhow, of course, Meg Ryan's friend is played by Rosie O'Donnell. The guy could be a crackhead. Actually, he sounded nice. You know it's easier to be killed by a terrorist than it is to get married over the age of 40. That's not true. That statistic is not true. That's right. It's not true. But it feels true. And I remember Rosie O'Donnell said she just played Bette Midler. In her mind, she walked and talked and just was like, I am Bette Midler in the movie. And her hand <laughs> is going, watch the movie and just watch Rosie just walk and talk in the movie. It's fucking hysterical. The hand acting. The hand acting. But what a cast. Bill Pullman, Rob Reiner. Uh, please give credit to Rita Wilson. You know, she's got mm. a great little moment as a... Sure does. Uh, as a teary friend. And um, just a beautiful movie. Well constructed. It is not my... Um, favorite meg ryan rom-com you think you know when harry met sally is you know it, it's it's the first you know and i do think because they're together and they get to interplay it is a touch better because they get to have the chemistry in person same thing yeah. with you've got mail because they're in person i like those ones better in a sense of like a rewatch but mm. seattle i just think it's like such a classically directed film it's just yeah it's it's, it feels timeless in the in the movie star uh, appeal of those two it does for sure it's a remake of an affair to remember which is a movie that i very much grew up with which i think is a remake of another of like an even earlier movie well the whole premise being these two being like kind of star-crossed lovers who make a date to meet at the top of the empire state building and then for whatever reason like one of them shows up and one of them doesn't so they spend a period of time like being in love with each other whatever it's just it it's such a it, it's such a fairy tale and i think the fact that meg ryan and tom hanks do have such a have such prolific chemistry made them perfect for this movie because you so 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 wanted everything to work out for for them and i just love it so much my favorite tom hanks and meg ryan joe, joe, joe versus versus volcano, volcano. yes when i mean that sliver first ending they die in the volcano i was like yeah this is no flipper to gibbet. It is no flipper to gibbet. No. Joe um, versus volcano. Yeah, I would say Joe versus volcano, and then this one. Yes, uh, agreed. Um, okay, clearly classic. We love it. Yeah, we love it. Love. What's love got to do with it? Starring Angela Bassett and Lawrence Fishburne. This is the Tina Turner Tough. story, and um, I am actually embarrassed to admit, like most of my Tina Turner education, the primitive t- came from this movie. Mm-hmm. Learning yeah. really her story, like her 
leaving him finally, Tina Turner leaving Ike, going across the street in her white pantsuit, her yeah. bloody nose. Like, and that's a famous story, but I know the story is first visualized by Angela Bassett. She was nominated for the Oscar. I think this is the year Holly Hunter beat her for the piano. Sure um, it's a tough, it's a tough year, and she's such a worthy winner. And uh, yeah. Yeah, and just like the buzz says, powerhouse performances by the two leads, more than make up for the TV movie moments in the script. And when Tina finally hits Ike back, you'll hear the loudest cheers of the summer. Love it. Lawrence Fishburne, love him. This put this put him on my radar, and he is one of my faves. He admits, Ike's a monster. No matter what I do, he's still the villain. That's fine. But in order for Tina to stick around with him for 20 years, he must have had something. I've been trying to figure out what that is. Mm. Like, that's a great actor, you know. Jack. Yeah. Okay, Dennis the Menace, this was not my movie. We were Mm-mm. too old. But yeah, I never saw it. It wasn't our movie. Okay, next up, we're closing out June with Orlando and Guilty as Sin. So Orlando, which is this beautiful... Um, oh, Sally you know, Potter movie. Thank you, Sally Potter movie. It was this word-out-of-the-mouth success out of Sundance. It was this $4 million production starring the strikingly androgynous Swinton. Title character may undergo a mid-film sex change... But she says, we worked on the principle that Orlando was a person first and a gender second. This movie, like, changed me. Like, I saw it. I I didn't see it in the theater. I definitely saw it on um, VHS. I'm sure I rented it. I don't know what made me rent this. I don't don't remember hearing or reading anything about it. But I saw it, like, probably not long after it, it came out. There can be no doubt about his sex. Despite the feminine appearance that every young man of the time aspires to. Do not fade, Orlando. Do not grow old. I was like, well, that's like just a whole different way of thinking about movies, of thinking about like period pieces, of thinking about gender and what men are and what women are. Like this movie hit on all levels. I have read this book more than I've read any other book because of the movie. Shout out to Orlando. So that's June. Um, Katie, anything you want to put on our island? Uh, Jurassic Park, obviously. Sleepless in Seattle, obviously. I'm putting a pin in Orlando for okay. my third spot. Great. It's also, all, we're all, it's vying for the third spot for me at this point. Also want to note, not in this issue, but I saw an ad for the movie and I just looked up its release date. Son-in-law. Polly Shore's son-in-law. Oh, yeah. Issue, but a movie I so grew up on, Crawl. Oh, you have a daughter. <laughs> Is she hot? What? Don't worry. I'll keep a special eye on her for you. My name's Crawl, and I'm the resident advisor. Oh, shit. Yeah, Crawl. Iconic to me. Polly Shore yeah. R.I.P. I mean, you're alive, but you know what I mean. Okay, July. Let's get into it, people. So I was still on vacation in, in New York, and this is a movie I saw with my parents, and I felt like such a mature movie goer, another R movie, and a movie that really did creep me out in parts, In the Line of Fire. Clint East was a Secret Service mm-hmm. agent trying to uh, chase down John Malkovich, who's trying to kill the president. And for me, the standout, I'm waiting for the Renaissance. We've gone through the Rene Zellweger Renaissance, but the Rene Russo Renaissance, hello. Rene Russo also plays a uh, Secret Service agent who's oh my god look how entertainment weekly spins it thanks to the abundant dry humor and eastwood's boyish charm russo as clint's take no prisoners partner boyish charm girl stop he is charming (laughs) but there's nothing boyish about his performance nothing boyish buzz he shoots he scores um which is true in the line of fire made over 100 million at the box office Hmm. this was another one that uh seemed like it was about adults doing business and there wasn't going to be a lot of 
sexy ladies doing things, and so I didn't care. On the other side of that, Robin Hood men in tights, for love or money, free willy. Robin Hood men in tights is to this day one of the most quoted movies in my brain. Wow. I quote that. I like, it It just lives in my head. I have seen it so many times. That was one that played on TBS, like yep. the TBS, the Marathons. TNTs, whatever. Back to back. Yeah, through the entire 90s. That movie was always on TV. This is Mel Brooks parroting on Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Buzz, Fox is hoping this could be Hot Shots Part Trois, but Brooks's recent track record, Spaceballs, Life Stinks, does not inspire optimism. First of all, I was mad, Justice for Spaceballs. I think of that as like, I don't think, right. Uh, so it's funny how things age. Like in the long scheme, Spaceballs really does, in my mind, survive the test of time. Pizza the Hut, hello. Pizza the Hut, for sure. Some early Dave Chappelle in that movie. Um, it is cringeworthy and unwatchable in today's society, but it still lives rent free. And Carrie, Carrie Elways, let's just give him a shout out. Um, yeah. Rarely gets the chance to star. Um, for Love or Money, Proof that Michael J. Fox, this is the last summer we were rarely gambling him as a leading man. Mm-hmm. This is a separate, yeah. second movie. This is a Manhattan-flavored romantic comedy with him opposite Gabrielle Anwa, if I'm saying that mm-hmm. correctly, Anwa. But she was favorite. in that movie where the where she played a blind lady who jumped horses off of a um, diving board. Do you remember that? Uh, instead of a woman? No. Oh, well, it's funny because it's about a blind man. So yeah. blind is in her wheelhouse. Free Willy was huge for me, I have to say. Dude. Oh, yeah. The hand in the, the air. in the air for anyone not watching. Of course, you're not. The hand is in the air. And this was a kid fist pumping as Willy, the sea. Wait, what do we call him? A whale? It's an orca whale. A <laughs> sea. What, what are we calling him? A whale. <laughs> the whale's name was, Katie, do you remember? Kiko. Yes, Kiko. Yeah. And Kiko. I wanted to nominate Kiko for my number three for Jurassic Park. <laughs> Kiko looks like a fucking fox jumping out of the water. The buzz. It's born free with fins. It's E.T. with water. But do kids really want to cry at a movie? Yes, I sure did. $77 million later. Yes. I was rocking out to there was a Michael Jackson song. Hold me, me. Like Like a a river of Jordans. Hold me, me. Like a pair of Jordans. It was River Jordans. But that Michael Jackson song that's either in the movie or was used to promote the movie. It was like in partnership with the movie, kind of. I want to just point out, this was probably right at the dawn of PETA being a big part of how animals were treated in films. And I know that this is one that is always pointed back to, to be like, don't fucking do that. (laughs) And there's a little blurb here that says, some days Kiko just wasn't happy since he's going through adolescence, reports executive producer Lauren Schuler Donner. So how does one attempt to appease a temperamental whale? We bought him a kid's toy that he loved, a yellow plastic vacuum cleaner, and that made him happy again. Like all actors, Kiko loved the perks. I don't know if we've all seen Blackfish. You know, like there's so much shady business right. that goes on with the way that these animals are treated in like SeaWorld. It is abuse. But, like he was unhappy. Because he was a teenager. Justice for Kiko. So, okay, Rising Sun. This is a movie that starred Sean Connery, Wesley Snipes. Tia Carrere also want to give her her due. Schwing, Wayne's World, True Lies. We'll get there when we get to... um, Next year. But this is Michael Crichton's 1992 thriller about two LA cops who uncover a Japanese business conspiracy met with a controversy. The movie version has caused a full-fledged monsoon. We have a murder here, and I want to solve it. I don't want to hear true confessions. You know what's true? 
When something looks too good to be true, then it's not true. We mentioned this in the opening. The fiercest war of words was between Kaufman and Crichton, who left after five rewrites. One alleged source of contention, choosing Snipes to play the book's white narrator. He seems to be upset with the casting of Wesley, which is pretty racist, if you ask me, says Kaufman. So this is another one that my well, well-meaning mother, who didn't know anything about what was happening with movies or, no. or what was the, didn't have any piece of the zeitgeist in her world. Oh, no. Knew that this was also based on a book and told me that I could see this movie if I read the book. And can I tell you? Oh my God, your book it club would be so proud. <laughs> I know. This, I went from Jurassic Park to Sliver to this. By the end of this year, I knew everything there was to know about sex. I mean, it was- Nude on a uh, table covered in like- Yeah, right. There was like chapters of this book dedicated to Punalingus. Yep. Let me say. Oh, yeah. The shot in the movie, the one I think you're referring to, was the first time, like, because I had read the book, but I didn't quite have, like, the picture of what that was. Where does the head travel to? Like, where does... Right. I was like, I don't under really understand, like, what they're what that's all about. And then I saw the movie and was like, got it. Right. All right. Now I right. It. And starts, like, <laughs> literally becoming true vintage porn. Not only this, then Disclosure. <laughs> disclosure comes out within disclosure. a year. The book came out. Oh, yeah. I remember reading it at school. I was scared someone would see the illicit <laughs> words I was reading. I had the book cracked open one inch, sweating with fear. Disclosure is Michael Crichton's sexual harassment novel, but it's the reverse where the woman is harassing the man, the That's woman right. being Demi Moore, and she needs Michael Douglas's D. She needs it so bad. Needs it. <laughs> Honestly needs it. She's the hottest woman on earth, but she needs this old rusty man's D. <laughs> and I just found, Katie, the journal I kept the summer. I had a book journal, and I wrote about Disclosure of how much I loved it. And my teacher wrote, do you own the book? I'd love if I can borrow your copy. Oh, God. oh my God, the teacher's like, that sounds hot, and I don't want to pay Dalton booksellers to get it. Yeah, well, my teacher's but, um, salary. I'm with you. I saw this with my friend Micah. You and Micah. Me and Micah, I know. But he and I went to a lot of these movies, and um, this is one where we were these two, like, <sighs> like kind of like horned up, like, teenagers, like, watching this together. One of the most memorable movies I saw with him next to the time. I think I went to him with a birthday party later this year. Remember the movie Stargate? Oh, yeah. And we went to the movie. It was three seventy-five. His mom each gave us $4 and like halfway through the movie, someone tapped me on the shoulder and was like, hey, Micah wants his quarterback. I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> it's like, oh, the movie was $4, you owe him a quarter. I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> but anyhow, um, The Rising Sun was like, I just remember it's just all sex, all raunch. I, I don't remember as much the racial tensions more as like the tensions in our pants. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> The crotchal tensions. <laughs> okay, okay. speaking of tensions, Coneheads. This was supposed to be the fall of to Wayne's world to make all this money and be this huge hit. Very sorry, Mr. Conehead. Conehead. My name is Conehead. Coneheads. Where were you on Coneheads? Did you see this in theaters? I did see it in theaters. I was a huge Wayne's world fan. Um, Coneheads did nothing for me. Right. I remember seeing this, but I feel like it must have been a blockbuster. I don't know that it was a blockbuster, but sorry, like... Sorry, no, I meant blockbuster video. Oh, it was a blockbuster rental. No, sadly, yeah. far from a blockbuster. Following Wayne's World, $121 million gross. Coneheads only grossed $21 million. So just $100 million off. Mm. I mean, Dan Aykroyd, Jane Curtin, Lorraine Newman, these are legends. But with that paper-thin yeah. material, sorry. Moving on. Stakeout 2. This is the other big sequel. 
This is where Rosie O'Donnell kind of like came into our consciousness. And even though I didn't see the movie, it did like alert me to who she was. And I was like, yep, that's its exact pop culture legacy is it brought us Rosie. I saw it in theaters with my brother the year before we had a league of their own. This year we had sleeps in Seattle. The following year, we would get the Flintstones. Three years in a row, she was in the biggest comedy Mm -hmm. of the summers for three years in a row, Rosie. And gave Rosie a part kind of meant for more of a Michelle Pfeiffer type. So that didn't work. Another movie that didn't work. It's Mm -hmm. called The Thing Called Love Mm -hmm. by Peter Bogdanovich. It Mm -hmm. starred Samantha Mathis, Dermot Mulroney, River Phoenix, and one Sandra Bullock. And just in a couple years, Sandra will be on the cover. Smoking a cigarette in chaps, promoting a time to kill. But this was Sandra's first uh, appearance. This was an ensemble movie. And I love it. And Trim Weekly, think of it as singles gone south. This comedy <laughs> drama features Mathis, Phoenix, Mulroney, and Bullock, love potion number nine, hello, as country crooners attempting to break into the business. That leads us to This Is Wild, Katie. So in July, into the business. That leads us to This Is Wild, Katie. So in July... The powers that be at Disney decided to open a Halloween-themed movie starring Bette Midler, Kathy Najimy, Sarah Jessica Parker, and Thor Birch called Hocus Pocus. So this is kind of wild because you and I, I think, are on the same page of because we were 12 going on 13, we were not Hocus Pocus heads. Mm-mm. He was totally four, missed it. Like a few years younger than us that got caught up in the kind of juvenile hysterics. The buzz is so spot on. It says it's got impressive star power and a hot concept. Too bad they forgot to put in the jokes. And I still yeah. like it as a mood piece. I get excited when I see it coming on because I know Halloween's coming. Spice is in the air. I'm here It's a pump. vibe. It's a vibe. Bette Midler does a takeover. We live, we love. I, the problem is I just don't love the movie itself. Yeah. And this is scandalous. We're probably losing, Katie, half of our Gen Z audience. And there's so many of them listening. That being said, I'm all here for the revival. They're shooting the sequel to Hocus Pocus. Mm-hmm. In my mind, the movie is not a classic. So you can't fuck with... Yeah, it's gonna be great. Great, just like it's just like Sex in the City. They're like, you can't fuck with this. You can't fuck with this, bitch. We already had Sex in the City too. They fucked with it. Yeah. And I love fucking around with Bette Midler, Sarah Jessica Parker, and Kathy Najimy. So I'm all for them. Yeah. I watched this movie for the first time in on Halloween of 2019 with a dear friend of ours from film school and her seven year old daughter. And we n- none of the adults in the room had ever seen it. And so, oh no, maybe it was 2020 because we were watching it outside. Um, none of the adults had seen it. So we're like, first time, like people, kids love this movie. Seven-year-old turns to us at one point and says, what's a virgin? Because they use the word virgin like five times throughout that movie. And we were like, all right, off the list. Off the list. It's like when I watched Look Who's Talking for the first time and I had a babysitter explain what a lesbian was. Yeah. Wake up call. I mean, that's where I learned what semen was in vitro. I mean, lots of life lessons. Yeah. But yeah, Hocus Pocus. Uh, it's just interesting. It's one of those cult classics that is now really survived the test of time but just an example of hollywood really getting it wrong by dropping this in the heat of summer yeah. kind of proof that these movies can really come around kind of like practical magic too. our queen sandy mm-hmm. you know practical magic came went except for maybe you and i i've been watching that movie daily since the minute it hit very that katie their hocus pocus were practical magic which leads us to rookie of the year which it's a baseball movie directed by actor turned rookie filmmaker daniel stern the Wonder Years and Home Alone fame, this movie, which I was all about. I was, even though I was uh, a traumatized little leaguer in my own right, I loved a baseball movie. You know, I love yeah. 
a sports movie. I loved a baseball movie and I loved Rook of the Year. And it had this fantasy element, this 12 year old who gets this magical arm leading him to be this like pro in the Cubs, which was like perfect for me. Like this flailing little leaguer in my own right. My dad was always the coach of my team. My little brother was always the VIP of my team, all-star of my team. And I'm the older brother and I sucked. I love the podcast, Danny Pellegrino. I don't know if you know, Katie. Mm -hmm. Yeah, everything iconic. He mentioned recently Funky Butt Lovin'. Did he say funky butt loving? Oh, yeah, funky butt loving. <laughs> At 12 years old, hearing funky butt loving in the theater was like a major, like, that was hardcore comedy. The buzz for Rookie of the Year, at best, a butt single. Oh, hardcore entertainment. Ooh, it ouch. ranked in the top 10 uh, box office of the summer. It definitely yeah, was. Yeah, it was a big movie. It was it a big beat, movie. It did more than Last Action Hero, and it beat Hocus Pocus, so. This was right in the pocket of the, like, kids' sports movies. It was, like, Sandlot, Angels in the Outfield. Little Giants. Yeah, Little Giants. Like, there was all of their Ladybugs. Like, there were all these movies about, like, kids' sports teams. And I always wanted to be on a sports team. And I always failed. Like you, I was always the one where they were, like, to the bench. So it was fun. It was a fun movie. Lastly, the last main entry in July. We're almost there, kids. Poetic Justice. So, mm. John Singleton's second movie. It was his follow-up to Boys in the Hood. And um, Singleton denies reports that he reached out parts of the film that tested badly. That's ridiculous. Test screens were disappointing, he says, because he hadn't yet put Justice's voiceover poetry sequences and soundtrack in place. Mm, the soundtrack. Without the soundtrack and the spoken voice of it all. Yeah. So much of the movie to me is Janet Jackson's whispers. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so true. I love that movie. They still can't see. I say, it's the arch of my back, the sun of my smile, the ride of my breasts, and the grace of my style. I'm a woman, phenomenally phenomenal woman so true i love that movie i that movie i didn't see it in the theater and i don't think i saw it in, until later but janet was such she was my 80s icon like she was the one and this movie i knew was a little beyond me but i saw it a few years later and yeah it's a classic love it too that it has um regina king oh, yeah she's yeah. a movie and she's a real presence she's definitely like you could tell this girl's got movie star energy she's yeah. right in the back of that van with janet and she's just uh hysterical and i remember this too wasn't this the rolling stone cover with the iconic janet yes there? she's got her arms up and her tits are out and her Someone's husband's holding them her husband's holding her the tits up every woman and every man with man breasts that's an iconic pose we all want. It's strategic and it's a way to like look hot and still be covered. So Katie, I want you to come behind me, cut my bosoms and pose. With I will. Me. Next time we get a cover. Now, Katie, I think you'll agree with me. The male lead of this movie is our official number one on my list for Jurassic Pork. Yes, folks, Tupac Shakur. You cannot deny this man's appeal, both artistically and physically. Hello. Not to say there's not room for all body types. I mean, Wayne Knight as Dennis Nedry. No, he did not make the list because he stole that Barbasol can that was secretly dinosaur eggs and got killed by the Dilophosaurus. You know, still, he was eligible. Body positivity here. Hello. Also coming in July, Bernie's back and he's still dead at Weekend of Bernie's 2. I remember seeing that at a dollar theater with my Uncle Matt. The only thing I just could not get over is the plot. He's brought back to life like a Rasta style by like a reggae man who's doing some ridiculous voodoo chant to bring Bernie's body back to life. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, franchise that has not been rebooted yet. I'm waiting. I'm waiting. 
Muere. <laughs> Muere. Any day okay. now. Now, Katie, our list here. Are we adding any to the list from July? There is a former version of me that would put Free Willy on that list, but not this nope. time. Sorry, Willie. Sorry, Bernie. And now we're in August. Fugitive, starring Harrison Ford and Tommy Lee Jones. This was a huge movie. It was nominated for Best Picture, I recall. And this is funny, Kate, I didn't know this. Harrison Ford is making a career of stepping into roles once earmarked for Alec Baldwin. After replacing Baldwin in last summer's Patriot Games, he'll be on the run this summer as the fugitive, a role Baldwin dropped. Your fugitive's name is Dr. Richard Kimball. Go get him. I love this movie because I loved Celia Ward, who was in one of my favorite shows, Sisters, and it broke my heart to see her head get bashed in. But this movie had me. It had like all of the things I needed. It had like the pretty sexy lady. It had the it had action adventure. We're running from something. We're in a bunch of different places. Harrison Ford, who was like strapping and handsome and manly, all of it. I was in. I loved it. It had the man with one arm. It had Jane Lynch. Jane Lynch was Watch. in this? Jane Lynch is there. She's in a, a Medical Scrubs. Trusty Doctor. Love it. We have Julianne Moore as another Trusty Doctor. That's right. That's right. She gets third build Entertainment Weekly. I don't remember. And then Celia Ward was fourth. I would swap it. I put Celia Ward first, but maybe Harrison, Celia, Tommy Lee. Lee Joan famously won an Oscar for this movie, Best Supporting Actor. When he won, he was bald since he was shooting Cobb, and I remember being very stressed about that. Here's the buzz. Industry oddmakers peg it as this summer's final sure smash, although in the wake of Sly, Clint, and Arnold in action vehicles, moviegoers may not be so eager to cut to the chase again. Which is so funny because, of course, this is the movie that's to the test of time out of all of those films. Yeah. It is interesting that all, like, the biggest action stars of the time all had movies coming out at the same time. Yeah, we don't have Bruce. Bruce is not here. He'll be back on the scene in a couple years with Die Hard with a Vengeance, which is, like, an ultimate summer movie for me. Next, we have a movie here called Heart and Souls. Sounds like I would have watched and loved and should know and love, but I'm not, I, I don't know Heart and Souls well. I sure do. This is another one. This is one that was on all the time. Like it was just on TV all the time. I watched it every single time it was on. I loved it so much. It's about. This is your The, the Firm. Yeah, this was my, my The Firm. It's about there's like a car accident and everybody dies and they're all ghosts, but they're like helping one guy do like get back to the woman that he loves. It had like, it was like if Ghost was a comedy. I also want to note like someone who dominated all these summer movies the last 10 years with the Avengers and Iron Man, Robert Downey Jr. This movie, Heart mm -hmm. and Souls, is his big entry point into the summer movie game. <laughs> the buzz, Katie. Not a peep. But we like the cast. So then lastly, you know, August in Hollywood was the time where they kind of dumped a lot of these movies. Needful Things, Ed Harris, Bonnie Bedelia. I love that Bonnie Bedelia is working. Queen Bonnie Bedelia. Yeah. Another movie, The Meteor Man, Robert Townsend. Wait, hold on. And you missed one. Man Without a yes, Face. Yes, okay, sorry. Okay, let me go back. This movie was huge for me because Nick Stahl was real cute in that movie. Nick Stahl. Yes, we cannot skip Man Without a Face, directed by Mel Gibson. Oi, I know we all have to deal with that, but... This is a movie where he is um, like a burn victim playing a recluse who befriends a 12-year-old boy, Nick Stahl, who really does give like, in my mind, like a beautiful performance. Yeah. Or was he just beautiful? What was it? Kind of both. I think this was also a time where there was that like, there was like a crop of young actors coming up that were actual actors that weren't just like teen beat hotties, you know, like weren't the like Kirk Camerons of the 80s or whatever that like kind of just existed to be 
like Brad Renfro. Yeah, right. It was like Nick Stahl, Brad Renfro, Elijah Wood, yeah. like, and then the and on like the girl side, there was like Christina Ricci and um Gabby Hoffman, like that kind of crop of actors. And I think Nick Stahl was definitely a part of that. His his career didn't play out the way any of us wanted it to, but uh, he was great in that movie. I remember eating next to him at a wood ranch over by the Grove, just him <laughs> hunkered down over a free cider rolls. And I was like, Aww. you know, I think he's now in an upswing. I read he's a like clean and doing well. I'm always rooting for him because he's got real presence. Or he's a strong actor and uh, yeah, hot too, if I recall. Mm-hmm. I'll nurse you back to health, honey. <laughs> also, you just shouted out Gabby Hoffman pouring one out for her for Sleepless in Seattle. We pointed out. Oh, that, right. Oh my God. She's like the first one who's doing the LOLs and the yeah. like BRBs yeah. before anyone did. Dad, could you shut the door? Sure. H and G. Hi and goodbye. Gabby Hoffman's MFEO. Then Meg mm-hmm. Ryan's like, what? What? Made for each other. We're very excited about meeting you in New York on Valentine's Day and seeing if we are MFEO. See you soon. Sleepless in Seattle. MFEO. Made for each other. It's cute. Justice for Gabby Hoffman. But yes, Man Without a Face. And they know to hear in the buzz. The last time Gibson slathered on facial latex, the film Forever Young made $55 million. There's no reason to think it won't happen again. And Forever Young was another one, Katie, for me. Okay, so yeah. so much growing up. And I really um, had such a, a soft spot for Mel Gibson with those kind of movies. I know. Speaking of, this is a perfect two for problematic movies that I think are great. I saw in theaters and I loved was Manhattan Murder Mystery. Mm-hmm. Woody Allen, Diane Keene, Angelica Houston, Alan Alda, directed by Woody Allen. And this movie is kind of infamous because it was filming during the summer. Woody was embroiled in all the controversy when everything was breaking with Mia Farrow and all eyes were on Woody. Um, Joy Behar, fun fact, has a small part in this movie. She's a Yenta. She's like a neighbor. It just seems to make perfect sense. And she remembers saying, yeah. you know, Woody was great, but he, he just had this attitude, like, just kept it all professional. You would never know because the world was crumbling around him. And uh, it's this great premise of these two, like, you know, bickering couple. They suspect a murderer in the building. And, of course, it's true. And it's kind of a twist on Rosemary's Baby. But, uh I remember really vibing on this movie. This was like right when I started getting into like Woody Allen movies and like loving Diane Keaton and her whole kind of whimsy and the, on the streets of New York and movie that really falls apart actually. Not that satisfying the last half, but um, this one left definitely an impression on me of one of his like more um, notable kind of like B movies. Yeah, this, I am not a big Woody Allen fan, you know, controversy notwithstanding. I But this is one that I always really liked as well and our last page so i married an axe murderer california into the west and the secret garden some classics in there right so i married an axe murderer i think might be one of my dessert island movies yes okay like i feel like you're in it or you're not and like i wasn't in it for so i married an axe murderer but i know the cult and i know so many people are so yeah um tell me your love for it I was all in from the get-go. I saw it in the theater. I knew it was Mike Myers and that he was from Saturday Night Live and um, Wayne's World, which I loved so much. But I had no idea what it was. I had no idea. All I knew was that Mike Myers was in it. So it was going to be good. It's good to reiterate that. Walking into a movie with zero awareness. You're not looking on your phone. There's no Rotten Tomato meter. Nothing. Completely blind. Nothing. Yeah. And this, it like thrilled me. And this was another one. Yeah, that like, I don't know, maybe that half an hour before the movie ends, you can turn it off. Like, and that's fine. It just it totally falls apart. But the quotability of it became 
such a such a like second language my friends like as we grew up you know there were so many lines that translated into real Wait, life can you drop a line that um will tickle the so i married an axe murderer hive listening oh yeah kid head no the when he mike myers plays the like old scottish grandfather and he's like teasing the son who's who has like the big frizzy hair and he's like it's like sputnik that kid's head look at the size of that boy's head Shh. i'm not kidding it's like an orange on a toothpick Shh. you gotta give the boy a complex well that's a huge noggin it's a virtual planetoid Shh. has its own weather system heat move it goes on forever he talks about like kfc it's just it goes on and on i could do the whole thing that kid in that movie was from one of the most classic kid sports movies the mighty ducks wow i know how do we just talk about those like iconic sports movies of the day and not mention mighty ducks or d2 the and also yeah. i want to just note the buzz here word yeah. is that the reshoots have turned a mess into a watchable but not more than that film. Agree to disagree. Well, Mike Myers has always been a bit of a roller coaster at the box office. Last year, he scored $121 million off Wayne's World. So I know the $21 million gross for this film must have really hurt. But a few years, he'd be back as Austin Powers. So I think things are going to be groovy, baby. Sorry. California. And I'm talking with the K people. Long before the Kardashians tried to fucking own the K, California with a K was here. This is Brad Pitt and Juliette Lewis as like insane psychopaths on the road. I honestly, Katie, like it's, this is visuals to me. This is not a movie. Brad and Juliette, like manic, in love, fucked up, grunge, fucking yeah. ride or die. Talk like, about a movie that is 100% vibes. Like I couldn't tell you what, I've seen this movie like, four times i don't know what happens in it but i can like picture almost every scene california's first cut is drawn an nc-17 rating and this is pit right after a river runs through it so this is like ooh, river runs through it what was the other one that's like almost the same movie right and legends of the fall yeah legends of the fall river runs through it california an iconic run. that was when brad pitt was together with juliette lewis and please google it yeah juliette lewis cornrows talk about you know cancel culture like i'm still waiting for juliette lewis honestly to get her like oscar nominated role still because i think she's worthy of that yeah and yeah. i just she was white hot at this point like sharon stone was the big like movie star siren and i think juliette lewis was like this was like the dawn of her indie darlingness yes. natural born killers i think probably the next year and it's like yeah yes that's a white hot streak opposite yeah. of white hot we're fizzling out here the end of august into the west don't know it irish movie gabriel byrne we're gonna skip that and the secret garden I don't know if you saw this. It looks actually like stunning starring Maggie Smith. Yeah, it was a gorgeous movie, but it was like, yeah, it was very twee. Also coming in August, Jason Priestley in Calendar Girls. Hello. Now, no one saw this in theaters, but when it came out on VHS, I was definitely ready to stock it. I had read all about it in Walden books about oh, nudity in film. Yeah. So when Jason Priestley showed his ass, this was truly prime television for a 90210 freak like myself we also have in here jason goes to hell we have steven soderbergh's drama king of the hill so katie if any of those august releases do any of them make the cut i don't think so i think uh i think i've got my list okay this is exciting so we just got through the full run of movies i'm like transport i remember so many of the specifics of the movie going experiences and i love that we both share that kind of like sense of memory yeah in 1993 being such a 
touchstone of turning from 12 to 13. I moved, you were like coming into your own awakening. Like there's a lot there. There's like a lot to unpack in our experience of these movies. Amen. So our desert islands, so we're going to bring five. We said Jurassic Park. We agreed on sleeps mm-hmm. in Seattle. So now we yeah. have to pick our third. I don't know if we're going to align on a third. What's your third? Well, I think we can. I think we can align on rewatchability to find a third here because there's okay. a lot of good picks. I think some places we were overlapped with watchability. And we both were digging on The Fugitive, but none of us whipped it out on our list yet. Like the thrillers that I like that are not in your vibe would be In the Line of Fire and The Firm. I really do think yeah. The Firm for me is going to be my wild card for the fifth spot. So Katie, I'm going to allow you to pick the fourth spot, like your wild card. My wild card is Orlando because Uh it's been such an important movie and story for me throughout my life. Well, I love that. And also you're giving some pedigree. (laughs) It's a visually stunning film, truly. Yeah, Um, it's gorgeous. And Billy Zane. Okay, well now we have to come to alignment on a third pick. I mean, I'm personally comfortable going with The Fugitive. We both dig it. I I say we pick Fugitive because I think for both of us, it's a like solid B+. That's a great watch. If you go Jurassic, Sleepless in the Middle, Palette Cleanse. Fugitive. Right. You really get the spectrum of a summer movie cycle, actually. Hey. Fantastic. And the last, the back cover, of course, is a cigarette ad. They all (laughs) All are. In this case, they're Capri. Capri Super Slims. Speaking of Super Slim, my Super Slim guest. (laughs) Thank you so much for ride or dying me through this epic deep dive like what was your sort of takeaway for having revisited amalgamation of films my takeaway from from this i think was just how much movies can impact you when you're at such an impressionable age because you know we were 12 13 at the time some of these movies are with me in my daily life now you know like i said robin hood men in tights i quote that in my head all the time so I married an axe murderer all the time orlando changed like the trajectory of my tastes as right. I as I developed into like a human with taste, like it just I love that and I loved I love doing this deep dive with you, Brian. There's no one I would rather dive deep with oh than my, you. I love it. I haven't yet dived this deep with a woman since college, actually. <laughs> well, the pleasure was all mine. And on a final note, it's not a coincidence that the star of 1993 Jurassic Park is coming back this summer, and they're bringing back the OGs, Sam Neill. Laura Dern and Jeff Goldblum because the studio is realizing for a lot of us Jurassic Park stopped with the OGs there was, there was one Jurassic Park movie as far as I'm concerned 100% but I will be at the reboot this summer for the new one mm. because if you have Dr. Grant Ellie Sattler and Dr. Ian Malcolm back for some chaos theory honey <laughs> ready to chaos with them tap into the amber stone so to speak Mm. Katie, I love you. Thank you for the deep dive. What a way to kick it off. I'm so excited yeah. to dive into this series. That's what I want to do this summer is um, we're going to go through the summer movie issues. So I'll do a tease for next uh, episode. Here you go. This is the cover right there. Oh, Our- <laughs> Billy Crystal promoting City Slickers 2, May 27th, 1994. And just to run down who's at the top there, we got Forrest Gump. We got Corinna Corinna, The Client, Lion King, The Flintstones, I Love Trouble, and True Lies. So Mm, That's a huge year. And of course, what's not on the cover and what I'm not going to go on about is a little movie named Speed about a bomb (gasps) and a bus starring a little girl named Sandra Bullock. But That's for next time. Thank you guys for listening to While You Were Streaming. Katie, I love you so much. Love you, Brian. Tune in next time. Love y'all. Kisses. (laughs) 